This is Daniel Hagedorn for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. This is day 59 of our 365-day journey with you. My wife and I are so passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. So our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to build an emotionally safe home and help their children thrive. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because these have been our fears too. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent, or I'm not qualified, or I'm going to mess my kids up. You know, as parents, we will do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. For 365 days, you've been invited into our experiment. And so we are committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies. Every day, every step of the way. So yesterday, we we took a little bit of a divergent path and we talked about Jacob Barnett who is an amazing story of inspiration and part of that story is has to do with the fact that it's a classic example of a parent knowing best in fact better than the experts and and that's because again parents are more committed to their children's success than anyone else they love their kids more than anyone else. So they will they will stick in there and hang in there, do whatever they need to do to help their kids. And so that elicited some additional questions because Jacob Barnett happened to be, um, he, he had gotten diagnosed as autistic. Again, I, I said this before, I'll say it again, I'm not a huge fan of labels, uh, pretty much because labels are, not really that accurate. I mean, even autism has a has a spectrum. I think it's much better to identify what are the symptoms that are presenting and what can we do about addressing those symptoms down at the core, right? Not, not band-aid the situation, but at the core. And so for special needs uh, families, I think it's Again, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. I honestly believe, this is after 14 years of teaching, and I've taught every level from AP and, and everything else. Um, I just I just don't believe, I, I honestly believe all kids are special needs kids. And the reason that I, I say that is because all kids are special. They are. And all kids need to be educated differently. It, it doesn't matter what what label has been attached to you, you have to learn differently. You have your own way. And so one of the things that I I mentioned yesterday, in addition to my, my pet peeve about labels, is that there really truly is more hope for parents with special needs children than ever before. I mean, we are truly living in absolutely exciting time. It is, because there is so much we have learned. And one of the things that I, I found to be true, and again, I'm not, I'm not dismissing uh, doctors or pediatricians or neuroscientists. I'm just simply saying that it's very interesting, because I've gone to a number of symposiums. I've gone to seminars. I've sat 
and listen to panels of, of experts, neuroscientists, so forth. And, and it's one of the reasons why I really appreciate the, the, the work that uh, a neuroscientist by the name of Dr. Caroline Leaf has done. I highly recommend her. She is absolutely amazing. And she has a long, long, 30-year-plus body of work. It's incredible stuff, what she's, what she's done. But, you know, it's really, it's sad because they can't even agree on what something is defined as. There, there are areas of overlap that they agree on generally, but there's much more areas of disagreement. So I don't even know how helpful these labels are. And that's, that's why I really don't like them. Um, as much. You know, there's kind of a, a cliche in educational circles that if you get five uh, pediatricians together and ask them to define ADD or ADHD, you get seven different opinions. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of funny, uh, but it's funny because it's true. And and so despite the, the absolute near absence of scientific consensus concerning these labels, they're often regarded as if they're graven on stone tablets. And the problem with these labels is that as soon as they are issued, now every single label comes with two things. It comes with an expectation and it comes with a limitation. The expectation is you will be able to do only this. And the limitation is you'll never be able to do this, right? Because now we've put it into a label and all these labels carry with it expectations and limitations. There's absolutely no room given to that child to grow outside of the box of the label. It's one of the reasons I have a, a big problem with it. And so I worked, just as a little, a little background um, before we get too far into it, I, I worked at a place called Brain Balance as a program director there. We only worked with children with special needs. It's a fantastic, I'm not a paid uh, sponsor for them. I, I just, but I do recommend them uh, without reservation just because of how much respect I have for their work and what they've done. They, they really do. Um, it's just an amazing program that Dr. Robert Melillo created. And he didn't even mean to create it. It was just, it grew out of, he had two children that had uh, special needs. And so he was already a, a neurological chiropractor. And then of course, this just led into uh, much more research. And he's leaned very heavily on the work of Dr. Michael Merzenich and Dr. Norman Doidge. And using and, and kind of pulling that together, that's where they've they've created uh, an amazing program. And, and so... I've seen with my own eyes these these children come in and all experience improvement. Every single one of them. Some improve more than others, but every single child experienced improvement. I mean, there is there's a lot to be said for it. And so I actually put together a, a book because one of the things that I found was that, you know, as awesome as as it was, and that's why Dr. Melillo even put this all together, was he wanted to give parents an opportunity to do this at home, it was a, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to, to work through and walk through. And, and, so, and, all, and also, it's, while I believe it's worth every penny, it's also not cheap. And because it's non-medical and non-pharmaceutical, insurance doesn't cover it. So it can, be very, it can be very expensive. But there is a lot you can do at home with your kids uh, that, that will allow you to see tremendous results. And so... All of that to say that there is a lot of hope for kids with special needs. There, there is. Um, and and I, I'm just going to say 
for, for the sake of my sanity, I'm going to exchange the labels for what they really are, developmental delays. They are a developmental delay of one type or another. And the more accurately we can identify that delay, then the more specifically we can address that problem directly at the root. So I think I mentioned this yesterday when I was talking about Jacob Barnett's situation and, and again, a classic situation. So what was his mom told? Well, gee, you know, uh, maybe Jacob might be able to tie his shoes and read one day, but you know, better not get your hopes up. You know, I mean, that was horrible. I mean, that was, that was what she was told. It's awful. And, and that's, that's the same story that in the past, parents with children who have development delays are typically given a pretty hopeless diagnosis. And children are routinely stamped with these labels that are often overdiagnosed and, as I mentioned before, decidedly unhelpful in understanding the problem or finding solutions. But that's exactly what makes the discoveries of the last 20 years in neuroscience so incredible. Because now we have a much greater understanding of, first, how the brain works, and two, how the brain can improve. And these scientific breakthroughs could not be happening at a better time. We could do a whole other podcast on this, but let me just give you some numbers just so that you can understand the scope of what we're dealing with. Each year, an estimated 1.5 million children, that's one out of six, are diagnosed with autism, Asperger's syndrome, ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, or obsessive compulsive disorder. And again, I don't like the labels, but I'm just reading the statistics. According to a 2014 report published by the National Center for Learning Disabilities, at least 5.7 million school-aged children are affected by some form of learning disability. And their findings also revealed that approximately 4 to 7% had both a learning disability and ADHD. In 2015, childstats.gov reported that 42.2 million children ages 4 to 17 used special education services for either serious or minor emotional or behavioral problems. Also in 2015, the National Center for Education Statistics reported that there were 6.6 million, or 13% of all public school students ages 3 to 21 who were receiving special education services. And among that number, 35% had specific learning disabilities. Now, that's a lot to digest and take in. And, and there, there is some discrepancy in the numbers because, again, there's discrepancy in how children are identified and labeled. But regardless of how you look at it, this is a significant problem. I mean, this is, this is not just sort of a, well, yeah, that's kind of an issue. No, it's a major issue. And these numbers, I think, represent three very important questions. And the first of these is what is the meaning of these diagnoses? And the second is, what explains this dramatic increase in neurobehavioral disorders? And three, can they be corrected? Well, in the past, the corrective response, uh, we'll, we'll get to in a minute, but look, I, I think that 
the debate over questions one and two, you know, what's the meaning of the diagnosis? What explains the dramatic increase? I think that that debate is going to continue. But I can tell you that the answer to question number three, can they be corrected, is an emphatic yes. And that's why in the past, the typical corrective response has been through medications. And they're claiming that if you take medication, it will help the child focus more, which will then help them achieve more. Um, Another corrective response has been through academics. Completing an ever-increasing amount of academic work will help your child to learn more. And then lastly, accommodations. Funneling your child through a continuum of services will help them compensate for their lack of progress. Now, I just want to say right off the bat, there are legitimate reasons to take medication. I am not anti-medication. But the point is this. They have often been overprescribed as a reflexive response to virtually all instances of developmental delays. And none of these quote unquote corrective responses actually address the root of the problem. They're not bad per se. I mean, well, I don't know. <laughs> That's even debatable, but it's it's not so much that. It's just that they aren't, they aren't dealing with the roots. So it's kind of like, um, you know, trying to choose between the best Band-Aid. You know, it's not, it's, it's like, okay, it's, it is doing something, but it's not ever correcting the problem. And so what, what, when we say developmental delay, it might be, it might be good to back up perhaps and, and just define that a little bit. A developmental delay simply means that one hemisphere of a child's brain has developed faster than the other. And so the overdeveloped hemisphere compensates for this by attempting to do the job of the underdeveloped hemisphere. Unfortunately, since that hemisphere of the brain was not designed to do those jobs, it performs them very poorly. And then compounding this problem, neither of the two hemispheres communicate very well with another. It's kind of like if you were watching a five-year-old and a 15-year-old play tennis. That's not fun for anybody. It's not fun for the two kids playing, and it certainly isn't any fun for anybody in the stands watching that, right? That's, that's kind of what it's like. But, and here's where the exciting news comes in. If the underdeveloped hemisphere is sufficiently advanced through appropriate stimulation, then both hemispheres can start the process of communicating. They, they call it synchronizing with each other. And consequently, this increased synchronization results in significant improvement emotionally, mentally, and physically. And that's exactly why there is so much hope because change is possible. I'm not promising a magic bullet. I'm not saying that everything will be completely, no. But you can see improvement because change is possible. And these breakthroughs are largely built upon scientific research dating back to the 1990s. And there were four key discoveries that were made that give us so much hope, right? And, and honestly, what this does for children that have developmental delays, it's just, it, it can't be overemphasized. All right, so there's four of them. Let's quickly talk through. Number one, I've mentioned this before, neuroplasticity. 
they discovered neuroplasticity can actually occur throughout a person's life, which means that it's truly never too late to improve. The second thing, the invention of the MRI. This allowed scientists to locate some of the parts of the brain that perform specific functions, right? And then the third was the actual functions of the brain, right? Because they, they were able to determine that all human functions are distributed on either the right or left hemisphere of the brain. And then, of course, there's something called the corpus callosum, which is sort of a neural network that connects the two hemispheres and allows the two hemispheres to communicate with each other. And then the last one, and this was something that the Dr. Melillo really spearheaded, was functional disconnection syndrome, or FDS. That's the root cause of all developmental delays. Now, this is, this is something that, that also came out of the 90s and is also incredibly exciting when it comes to uh, children with special needs. And they found that stimulation and training can change the brain both physically and chemically. They also discovered brain cells can grow larger and the spaces between them can become smaller. The smaller the synapses between the brain cells, the more efficient the communication is. And then also they found that additional communications can be formed and activated, which increases the brain's processing speed. Again, all of that to say improvement is absolutely possible. This is a quote from Norman Doidge uh, from The Brain That Changes Itself, published in 2007. He says, the use of brain exercises generally has major implications for education. The idea that the brain is like a muscle that grows with exercise is not just a metaphor. The brain is always learning to learn. Now, the flip side of that, though, is that harnessing the brain's neuroplasticity to stimulate beneficial change has two primary requirements, according to Deutsch and Merzenich. The first is that exact stimuli needs to be delivered in the appropriate sequence with precise timing. And then the second part is that this training must be intensive, repetitive, and progressively challenging. So, if you are going to achieve maximum improvement, then the combination and timing of the stimulation is critical because the body has to be physically stimulated to strengthen the connectivity between the two hemispheres of the brain. And then when that connectivity is strengthened, it's going to require the consumption of appropriate nutrition and supplementation to support that development of the central nervous system and brain. And lastly, customized academic stimulation is needed to activate the underdeveloped hemisphere of the brain while leaving the overdeveloped hemisphere mostly untouched. And this is absolutely huge. In our next podcast, I'm going to talk to you about something called primitive reflexes and the essential role they play as the root cause of these developmental delays and the awesome thing what can actually be done to address them, not band-aid them. So it's going to be kind of exciting. Listen, thank you so much for listening into this podcast. I know there are literally hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. You chose to give us your time. We are always grateful for that. Check out our website, pk4l.com, for more resources. And please click on the link in the show description to download your free ebook, Building an Emotionally Safe Home, as our gift to you. Remember, we are with you every day, every step of the way. Until tomorrow, 
Have a great day.